What's up? <coughs> You'll have to excuse me. Today was a long day of podcasting. I did two interviews. Um, ooh, I know some of y'all do like six interviews. Some of you podcasters are like, oh, that guy's, that guy's a wuss. He can't even handle two podcasts in a day. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, what can I say? My voice is a little parched and I need some water. But, uh, ads, ads, ads. Check out Social Jello with Angelo. I don't know why I said that. How I said it. I don't know why I did that. But anyway, um, right now I am on Player FM series at Player FM. That is uh, player.fm slash series slash podcast dash 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 social jello with angelo dash 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 in between all of it um also i'm on blueberry that's a b l a song like mr red oh do people even know mr red anymore that's old i just showed you how old i am well i'm sorry i'm not that young but i'm not that old if you're asking but i messed up the ad but i don't care b l u b r r y that is www.blubrry.com slash podcast under slash social jello with Angelo. If you actually Google it, it comes up. Um, and as always, you can find my show on iTunes or on my website at www.socialjello.com. Um, this show is also, this episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Kobe Fight Network. And more than any other episode, this is brought to you by the Kobe Fight Network, because this was a martial arts episode, and I'm really stoked that you want to check it out. And I'm also stoked that maybe you're interested in martial arts in Japan, because if you are, check out the Kobe Fight Network. It's a network of martial artists in the Kansai area of Japan. That's in near Osaka, Kobe. If you look at a map, Google it. You'll see on Google World Maps, a large map of Japan. And on the top, there's Tokyo. Go to the bottom and move to your right, which would be heading east. In the far east, on the east side of Japan, is a place called the Kobe Fight Network, where martial artists get together and train in mortal combat. Mortal combat! Well, not really. But we do do martial arts. Uh, people from different backgrounds, from nogi jiu-jitsu to stand-up MMA to kickboxing. Um, a lot of great stuff. We kind of get there and um, mix it up. Uh, as some of you may know, I coach the MMA stand-up there, along with the kickboxing. And, uh, and we do both, Nogi Jiu-Jitsu. Our Nogi Jiu-Jitsu instructor plays second in the Kansai area um, for Nogi Jiu-Jitsu. The guy's a beast, and uh, he knows a lot about Nogi Jiu-Jitsu. So if you're looking at learning how to do some good grappling some, from a Japanese style of Nogi Jiu-Jitsu, you should come out and check it out. Um, that's every Sunday at 7 p.m. at the Oji Sports Center. And uh, you can get more info on that at www.kobe-fightnetwork. No, ah, yes, kobe-fighting.net. That's it. Um, this episode, I'm interviewing Sifu John Ho. Oh, yeah. John, Sifu John. I messed up his last name already, so you'll have to check out the actual podcast. And I say it right then. It might be holo, but I think I said that wrong again. But Sifu John, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. This episode of Social Jello, we got uh, Sifu John Hojlo. Hojlo? Is it Hojlo? Hojlo. Hoilo! Oh my gosh, I have been messing up your name for a while now. I forgot to mention, uh, yeah. on my show, it, it's it's explicit, so you, you are allowed to use any type of language you would like, but um, I know uh -huh. that maybe perhaps you're going to want to share this with your friends, mm -hmm. and maybe even your former or your your college Kembo students um did you want to keep it clean um whatever comes out comes out um we don't have to keep it too clean now okay all right now i'm not you know i'm not i'm not <laughs> i'm not gonna get nasty or anything but <laughs> just, <laughs> 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 
but I, yeah, I do. I, I, I do tend to um, just say whatever comes to my mind. And because of that, recently I actually took down a lot of my. Uh, I didn't take them down. A lot of my stuff, I, I switched it to explicit lyrics because I realized that uh, the uh, I have uh, on iTunes most of my material is put under explicit lyrics or explicit content because I'll cuss sometimes or my guests okay. will cuss. Um, but uh, I didn't know that on YouTube that if you if it's under explicit content, you can't ask for sponsor. Yeah. You can't ask for Google Ads or sponsorships. Or Ooh. like you can't do the I can't I can't okay. do the whole Google ad thing, which is cool. I, I really don't give a fuck. Like, that's fine if if that's the case. Those are the rules. So I started. I went through all my all my YouTube videos and and made sure to to make it eighteen and up for any of the videos that had any cussing. And I, I really don't cuss okay. that much. Um, but you know, just 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 to be on the safe side, I did that so I can be in good standing with with YouTube. Thank you, YouTube. A uh, little plug-in there to them, and um, and then what I do is, I know that also my show tends to last about an hour or so, and a lot and the average attention span of a YouTube watcher is about two minutes. So what I started doing is, is that I'll, long? Yeah, I know that, that's longer. Lo- it's getting longer. I heard maybe even four minutes. It's the work. They're they're getting they're ADD. It, it seems to be getting better as time goes by. But um, so what I do for for that is I'll I'll put together a trailer of some interesting points that we talk about, and those parts are usually clean. They don't have any cussing, and I make those available for all ages. And then the actual show, uh, I say what whatever whatever so, comes yeah, you're to playing, mind. You're playing the game, man. Yeah. Yeah, you're playing the game. You got to get out to the people to see to to so they get interested in what you're doing. I think uh, people can um, understand a, adult language comes out. Yeah, I mean, for adults, you know. I think it's so fucking weird. Like, why is it that people have this this idea? Like, we're we're okay with 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 voices sounding a certain way that would otherwise be completely unnatural in real life. But we have these images like Well, you've been here in Japan. Yeah. Like yeah, you know what I mean? Like we have these images well, okay. of, of of what a politician sounds like, what a what a radio D de- hey the radio DJ voice, right? We have all these ideas yeah, yeah, yeah. but when it comes down to like when when people are talking naturally they don't talk like that. But they're okay with hearing it in that type of setting, so that, I don't know. It, it trips me out, and I I, I try to keep the show as, as as natural as I can. Well, I mean, you've been living here in Japan long enough. I mean, when it comes to, like swear words and cuss words as well, as far as what sounds natural, uh, you've been speaking a lot of Japanese. Oh yeah. Well, there's not. A, is there Japanese so, like, doesn't uh, ha- does Japanese have swear words? I mean, well, that's the thing I was going to say. I mean, anytime you ask a Japanese person, they'll say, no, nah, Japanese doesn't have any swear words. Uh, if you watch a movie, if a kid says, like, "saw," it gets translated to, like, crap. But if uh, a mafia member says, "saw," it gets translated to, you know, motherfucker. <laughs> so it, it really doesn't, it's really weird. Because a lot of Japanese people say there are no swear words. And it might be true, but I guess it comes down to the context. Uh, apparently, you know, if you say in Japanese, the worst thing you can say sometimes is, you know, shine, which just means die. <laughs> and apparently that is worse than saying, you know, fuck. Yeah. So there's huge cultural difference there. Yeah, there is. There's, there's this weird, um, I, yeah, I feel like, uh, I, in general, English has more words. So I feel like it's almost like English has created at least for Japanese, from the Japanese perspective, an art of, of cussing, <laughs> which, oh, yeah. which my yeah, Japanese yeah. wife is always telling me. She's like, wow, like when she hears, she heard one of my friends just go off on a tangent. And she's like, wow, the way, yeah. she, the way she can use the word fuck into the other bad words is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you find a good girl who cuss like that, that's just sexy. <laughs> so yeah, she, but yeah, but, but, but it, 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 she made a good point. Like it's just, it's not culturally there, um, which is probably why it gets missed so much on TV. I was shocked when I was watching uh, NHK 
uh, which is the Japanese, for the yep. listeners, it's the Japanese uh, news network channel out here. Um, and I'm sitting in my car listening to NHK and they were, they were showing the protests in America and they straight out did not censor a group of Hillary supporters saying, fuck Trump, fuck Trump, <laughs> fuck Trump. And I'm like, what? No way. They're playing this on TV. <laughs> Yeah, because I think for them it's more of a of the intent, like what's the intent? Yeah, yeah. And the and the context of the way you're presenting the word itself. It's not really based on on the cussing, especially because everyone's so polite. Once you actually just start being aggressive, which is for us foreigners, that's the problem. Is if you start since it doesn't really matter about the cussing, it's about the tone of your voice and the aggressiveness. You can be yeah, ju- yeah. just as offensive. Because we, we always associate, well, once someone starts cussing, that's when they, they're out of hand. That's when they're, they're hitting a, a realm of, of, um, of anger. We should probably avoid it or try to, that they're getting argumentative. But as foreigners, when we're speaking Japanese, sometimes just plain old, we can get passionate and say something directly and it'll come off just as offensive as if you were cussing. And that's something that I always trying to... That is very true. Yeah, yeah. That but, is very true. And it's really weird because a lot of people don't... A lot of uh, non-Japanese people in Japan don't realize that. Yeah. So there's always these issues of, uh, you know, non-Japanese people losing patience with Japanese people. Why do they do it this way? And Japanese people losing patience with guy Ekokujin like us. Why do they do it this way? I mean, it, that's a very good point you're bringing up. We don't even realize we're basically saying "fuck you" yeah. uh, with our actions. Yeah, but we don't realize it. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Especially when we first come out here and we start learning some Japanese and we start kind of picking up the language. Um, that we we kind of we don't catch those nuances. We learn the language uh, faster than we learn the actual nuances of the culture, and that I think that's where we end up in some bad. <laughs> Some bad yeah, places. Right. That is exactly. <laughs> so, John. Yeah. Um, I've been here for six months. I can speak the language, bro. What's that? Oh yeah, it's that's the it's a mindset people have. You know, I've been here for six months. I know the language. I can communicate. I can speak perfectly. Oh yeah. But no, they can't. Yeah, that know? that's a big mistake that a lot of people make. They're like, oh hey, or they'll take you know they'll study abroad, and they come out here, and then they they start being able to to communicate. And understand, and then, like you said, you yeah, you can you can talk, but be careful what you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a different place. It's a different place. Well, John, um, I already introduced you to my listeners earlier while I was doing my ads, but um, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I guess um, you know, I mentioned in the in the introduction, I mentioned that you're a fourth degree black belt instructor in Kajukembo, right? Yes, I am. And um, I guess a story that I don't even know is how did you start doing Kajukembo? Like, what what brought you to Kajukembo? Um, well, let's see. Uh, well, I started martial arts as a whole. My, my interest started when I was a kid. Um, growing up with my dad, I always watched movies. Uh, you know, dad and son meant a lot of action movies. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, you know, any, any of the old Sylvester Stallone stuff. Uh, and the more action movies I saw, the more I saw martial arts. You know, there's always uh, some martial arts character somewhere in an action movie. It's a bad guy, good guy, whatever. So uh, that got me interested in martial arts. Um, as a kid, honestly, I started Kaiju Kembo uh, in 1999 at the end. But uh, I started martial arts. Way back in uh, 1989. Oh. So uh, I spent about years before that. Uh, I, I went to a Mick Dojo, um, one of the worst schools you know I've ever heard of or seen. Uh, it was a terrible, terrible school uh, called America's Best Karate. Uh, taught a lot of bad habits and false confidence. A lot of stuff that just I, I really regret. But in the process, I did meet some good people. Uh, my first teacher was a guy named Anthony Marks. Uh, he 
taught me a lot of the good basics, and he taught me what it is to be a good teacher. Uh, a lot of the ways I teach today are still based on what he did as a teacher. So uh, eventually, as I got older, I stuck around. Um, he ended up leaving the school, but I ended up being an assistant instructor and then an instructor at the school, and I loved teaching. And one day, like a lot of McDojos do, it, uh, the school closed down, and there were a lot of other good students, good kids, wanted to keep training, and I was introduced to a man named Ron Esteller, who at the time was a sixth degree in Kajukembo, and uh, he kind of took us uh, under his wing. So we had a huge group of uh, Taekwondo students, and we had kind of a, a kind of a dual program. It was Kajukembo and Taekwondo on different days. He basically was kind enough to let me teach and then I would come in and help at the Kaiji Kambo classes and started learning. And I got, you know, a couple of private lessons. Uh, I got my beatings, got my licks. And uh, the longer we stayed, the, you know, we realized, well, you know, Taekwondo has its good points, but uh, this, this Kaiji stuff's really nice. It's really good. So, and so, so the, we. Uh, if I can yeah. clarify real quick. So the, the original school you sure. went to was a, was a Taekwondo school or a American karate school? It was a Taekwondo school, but like most McDojos, it, they kind of just took the name Karate because that's the name all the soccer moms knew. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, that's what a lot of places do. So it was, it was Taekwondo, and um, yeah. and that's that's crazy, man. Because like the uh, when I first met my Sifu, he was paired up with a Taekwondo school as well. Um, except the uh, yeah. Taekwondo school he was paired with was um, the guy. The the instructor was um, the instructor was ah jeez I can't remember no he was he Korean his last name was his last his last name was Lee but he may have not been Korean he may have been Vietnamese but but either way he was he was okay. paired he was paired with uh with a with a Taekwondo school and the Taekwondo school also had uh had students some of them were police officers and. And they were more of the yeah. um, Taekwondo tends to attract a certain type of of family crowd, if you will. Um, yeah, like that's very true. It it has a it has a strong backing. I mean, I, I mean now it does. I don't know how it was back in the eighties, but like what I saw out of Taekwondo in my in my neighborhood alone, there was there must have been at least three or four Taekwondo schools, and and most of them always said like Taekwondo became kind of a household type of name, oh, Taekwondo, because everyone kind of knew that there was a lot of Taekwondo schools in the area. So some of them did yeah. say American Karate, but most of them said um, Taekwondo. And they were paired just like what you just mentioned. My my Sifu had the pair of the Taekwondo class. Of course, by the time I joined, um, I, I came in straight for the Kajukembo because I met my Sifu first. And, I, I, and he told me, okay. like, when you go to the Taekwondo school, it's really different. Um, but you're welcome to go over there. Uh, they do sparring on Tuesdays if you want to see something that's different. But it's really different. <laughs> he, kept, he kept telling me that. It's really different. Just get, you know, keep an open mind and remember that they have different rules and that they do a lot of point sparring and, and just be careful with the contact you make with their students during sparring. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> don't break them. Yeah, don't, don't break them. Don't break them and don't, don't, don't cause a mess for me. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, they share the lease. Yeah, we, <laughs> we share <yeah>. the lease. <laughs> and the thing is, man, like Taekwondo gets a lot, it gets a really bad rap from a lot of people. And I think, again, because the first Taekwondo instructor I had was a great guy, and I still talk to him once in a while on Facebook, Anthony Marks. And the thing is, Taekwondo itself is not bad, but you, you mentioned they were everywhere. And they, a lot of the McDojos were Taekwondo schools. And once they reached that point, it wasn't about teaching the real art. It was about selling belts. So th there's a lot of, you know, there, there are a lot of terrible, bad Taekwondo schools. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there are some good people. And like you said, your school was kind of mixed with the Taekwondo school, you said, right? Like the, the program. Yeah, yeah. The, pro the, the, the program was, you know, we, we had Kajukembo since, since it, was, it was a good deal for my Sifu because, you know, the, the lease on a commercial building is not cheap. So we would share we would share the dojo with the Taekwondo school and 
on um I think it was uh Tuesdays was it Tuesdays and Thursdays? The schedule pretty much was alternating days between Taekwondo and Kajukembo. And sometimes like the Taekwondo students would come in at a, at one time and then the Kajukembo students came after they were finished at the other, at another time. But the, the this allowed um this allowed there to be more students to be able to come in and out and of course created more revenue for for the for the studio to stay to stay out of the red because of the costs to run a dojo so that's it that's it that's exactly what we had and it kind of had to be done by a lot of schools i mean i think uh here in japan people still accept martial arts as the japanese martial arts as part of the culture in america at least you know as an american i can say that it doesn't have the same respect it's really hard to keep a dojo open Oh yeah, it's definitely much much more difficult yeah. to keep a dojo open. So yeah, I mean exactly because of that, that kind of thing is going to happen a lot. You're going to see mixed schools, and that's good because students get exposed to both sides. And I think what's most important for martial artists is looking for the truth. You know, you're going to have to be able to look at your art and say, "And is this really good for me to take? Is this uh, is this a fake school? Is are they treating me right?" You know. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. So it's good to have a mix, to see both sides, to be exposed to other schools, other teachers, and then go from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if it wasn't for the Taekwondo school being there and me sparring with those with those guys, I would have never learned how to properly do point sparring. Because <laughs> 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 I had a terrible, terrible time trying to figure out how to fi- figure out how to how to hold back how to hold back in, in general. Um, so yeah, Taekwondo definitely good. Visiting them taught me control, uh, precision. Um, they have some great kicks. I got to give them that much. They have some really nice kicks. There's some, there's some pretty cool kicks that I probably would have never thought of using. Um, like for example, yeah. the, uh, the spinning back side kick, uh, which is the one that, uh, that George St. Pierre, um, he, yeah. he knocked out someone on that. He tried it twice and pulled it off. And I guess, uh, I guess the spoke person Joe Rogan, uh, he he likes to take a lot of credit for for showing him that kick a long time ago. And he's also a ta- he's got a Taekwondo background. So I mean, like, yeah, there's 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 some great things to be said about Taekwondo as far as as far as kicking techniques, teaching control, as with any other martial art, teaching respect. That's that's like down. That's one thing that that all martial arts share and have in common, but like you said, um, it's definitely not for everyone, and it it does have its weak its weaknesses, as far as um, hand techniques and and defending your face. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, there are quite a few who like to block with their face. Uh, it doesn't work so well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that is exactly what it is with taekwondo, and um, for me. It was the chance to change over to to Kaiju Campbell because you know I saw the difference very quickly and I loved it. Yeah, that that's that's one of the things that I, you know, I, I was lucky enough that when I jumped, Kaiju Campbell was my first type of formal dojo training that I that I stuck with. Um, I did Choi yeah. Foot, I did Choi Foot Kung Fu. Um, the, through a through a pretty big school, and that one was pretty legit. They had connections to to China, but at that point, like they their connection to China was on paper. Um, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like there was a Chinese master coming down from China. There was there he would come and he was very old, and they would have they would kind of have like this banquet where they would all sit and have dinner with him. But it wasn't. It was really hard to. Uh, at one point, I was kind of questioning the legitimacy of their connection with this grandmaster. Um, but I was. I was only there for a year, and and they did that. As far as what they taught, and they all taught the same format, the same style of Choi Foot. It literally took eight to nine years to to receive your black sash. They didn't use a belt system. They had a sash system. And and they always talked about how they only incorporated the sash system because everyone in America is used to a belt system. But originally they they don't, they didn't want to use a sash system. They just wanted to have everyone wear white sashes, 
and then just straight out go from mm. white to black after eight years. Like the idea of you keeping only one, and there can only be one Sifu. But they changed their their stuff. So they yeah. they were they were pretty legit for for what they were. They were pretty legit. Um, but there still was this really heavy uh, business drive behind them with contracts and and if you violate the contract and that kind of stuff. And I ended up getting a knee injury six months into the training, and my contract stated that injury or not, no refunds. And I was told by the doctor, you know, you can't train for you're gonna be down you're gonna be down and out for about a year. And um, yeah. And I told him, hey, here's my doctor's note. I'm going to be down and out for about a year. I personally paid them up front three grand for a year's worth of training for my contract. And I only got about three to four months into that training till I got the injury. And they pretty much just said, well, yeah, contract says no refunds, buddy. You know, you can come in and watch us train. But uh, there's not much we can do. <laughs> And I was just thinking, wait, oh, you're like, you're my Sifu, right? Like, you taught me all this stuff about honor and respect, and <laughs> it blew my mind. Like, but, 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 so what you're saying is you're going to take my three grand next year uh, when I, if I can train and I come back uh, by next year, you're telling me that you, I have to pay another three grand, but, but I'm not training, like, and you have my money. <laughs> this isn't an issue where I didn't pay you. And they're like, sorry, you know, con- contract's a contract. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, oh, wow, this isn't like, this isn't my, the stereotype I had in my head of, 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 the, ch- of the Chinese Sifu who you, you have to live at his house and he won't take your money, but he's going he's gonna to work you like, a, like an ox in the, in the farm, in the fields. And, <laughs> and, if, and if you didn't have well, the money to pay... Yeah, that did have the Fu Manchu, uh, you know, facial hair. Oh, the, 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 the grandmaster that, that visited once a year did have the Fu Manchu facial hair. <laughs> no, shit. You're serious. <laughs> yeah, no, he did. I would have been fooled too. <laughs> he did. He had, he had the full get up going, and that's, that's, that's how they got me. So I figured, hey, they have this legit <laughs> great grandmaster picture. And then he came, and I, I, got to, I got to see, they went to a restaurant, and they were charging like a lot of money to have to eat with this guy like they were charging about oh my gosh it was like a it was like one of those like $400 a plate $300 a plate dinners and it was yeah. it was essentially just like a average chinese restaurant so they were just trying to mark it up and really rake in the dough if you will so um uh, that's Absolutely. when i so like after after the whole thing went through i i realized i'm like it might be legit, and they have a guy with a Fu Manchu thing, but the principles just don't seem to match. Like, I, I don't, I don't, I could, I couldn't get over the idea that they were gonna keep, they were gonna keep a year's worth of of train of money, and not, and essentially not make me pay all over again. I couldn't get over that. I felt kind of betrayed, and so I stopped training with them, and then and then uh, started going back and training on my own. Picked up a bunch of even before I went there, I already trained on my own and learned how to throw basic punches and kicks by reading old kung fu books along with boxing books and uh, judo books from the library. Um, that's where I picked up a yeah. lot of my techniques, and I, me and my cousin, would practice those when I was about ten or eleven, and we were we were just getting ready to to defend ourselves from gang members in the area. So we we really didn't care about the martial arts as much as we did self defense. And um, and yeah, works. so like in reading those books, I was like, I really want to do Chinese kung fu. Like, there's something about it that I really like. Um, and that's how I ended up at that place. After that fell through, I went right back into my books, picked up a book on Jeet Kune Do, and just started going through that again, going through the techniques. And finally, by the time I was 18, um, is when I when I found Kaju Kembo, and I met my Sifu, and I and I started okay. I started my training. So. How did you end up transitioning from Taekwondo into Kajikembo? Well, uh, schools were mixed. Uh, so I was teaching the Taekwondo program. I was 17 at the time. Uh, and being there, and I was able to, teach, uh, to actually take the Kajikembo classes as well and help the kids' classes. So not only from uh, Ron Steller, who became my Sifu, uh, but also one of his former... Kaji Kembo classmates, uh, a man named Anthony Rollins. Uh, he was also teaching kids. They both taught me so much about Kaji Kembo in the process. 
And uh, basically, we had kids who were taking the Taekwondo classes and the Kaiji Kembo classes, both. So they were learning from both, and it was great. But uh, I think not only me as a teacher, but the kids as well really saw that Kaiji Kembo was much better for us. Now, again, I'm not saying that Taekwondo was bad itself, but the knowledge we had coming from a Mik Dojo was very, very limited. And the knowledge to be gained at the Kaju classes was just phenomenal, so much more. So I started working out the Kaju Kembo classes as well. Uh, Siguran was kind enough to teach me uh, before the classes and after the classes, and I got a lot of the material. Um, and then after a while, uh, he saw fit to award me a black belt, and it, I was shocked. Uh, I... Uh, I was, he let me wear my Taekwondo black belt, but uh, to kind of uh, to be respectful, I didn't wear the Kaiji Kembo black pants. I always wore my, the white pants just to show that I was not an actual Kaiji Kembo black belt. But when he gave me that black belt, it was uh, it, it was just a shock, and I, I felt so good that I was able to fit in with the other black belt, even at the bottom. Um, but that's where it started. Uh, and then from there, it continued, and I kept learning as much as I could, and I, I just fell in love with Kaju Gumbo. That's really cool. That's really cool. So, did you um, w did you have to test for any of your did you did you go through the uh, Kaju Gumbo black belt test? Um, I didn't have to go through the test itself. Um, I talked with people about it, and basically. Shortly before that, we were talking about teaching the kids, and we realized that about testing kids is that you can't really just have a one-hour test or a two-hour test on one day, especially with kids, which we're, who we're mostly working with, because sometimes kids who just don't do well bring their A-game for one day, they get their belt promotion, and then they go back to being less than what they should be. <laughs> so we started doing a thing where every day was the test. Okay. Every day with the test, and we realize that it works for adults as well. That you know, I mean, every day you see what they're doing. When a person becomes a yellow belt, it's not one day that reveals it. You, you see it in them already. It's not like a test you have to pass. You're already yellow belt or not. You're already a green belt or not. So through taking the classes, um, he saw fit to award me the belt, and it, and I feel. I hope I don't sound too arrogant when I say this. I feel like with the workouts, I, after surviving a 24-hour workout with his instructor, I felt it, it, I had done what I needed to do, and they felt that I was uh, part of the family. Well, it, so and, uh, it sounds I'm, like I'm the, it sounds like the way the school was doing their black belt test was a little different. It was more based on um, instead of having one day where it's high intensity. You, you would just always be at high intensity and those who can keep up essentially are training at black belt level and those who can't, well, aren't. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of what we game, yeah. I mean, like, uh, he used to do the test just like that. That was his black belt test. His instructor, James Juarez, who's absolutely my hero, uh, you know, where he's, where he's at, his students, they still do the black belt test the same way. But Sifu Ron started doing, like, uh, an all-day test it, it was kind of more like a, a, our Christmas party. We would have a six-hour workout. Uh, we'd have a bunch of people come in. We'd all be working out for six hours. You work together. So somebody's trying for black belt. Everybody gets to hold the bag for him. They all get to feel his kicks. They all get to see his punches. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, the, the black belts would gather and with me with Sifuran and say, yeah, this guy's doing really well. I think he's ready to be promoted. Uh, he's not, this guy's not ready yet. Uh, let's wait on him. He needs to work on this. And it, it really became, it, it wasn't just a five-hour test. It was a year-long test. Like you said, every day, all high intensity. And when the time came, if uh, Steve Ron thought you were ready, you got the belt. And it, you got the rank, which is actually more important than the belt itself. It's just who you are. Yeah. And I, I think you're touching on a good point. Like, one of the things I wanted to mention was about how uh, different Kaju Kembo schools have a different method and a different approach to the to the tests themselves. Um, oh, yeah. for, for our school, we actually had we had one way that we used to do the test, and we changed the way we had we did the test a little later um, because yeah. we realized that we were kind of expecting t 
too much out of people to be able to just get a black belt. My, my Sifu realized that he was actually testing people to become instructors. And we had this conversation on, should we be training every single one of these people to be an instructor? Because what if some of these people aren't here to be the next generation of of Sifus, if you will? They're not here to teach Kajukembo in the future. They just want to have a good grasp of, of Kajukembo and be able to defend themselves. Don't they deserve a black belt too? Especially if they know the same techniques as us, but they just don't want to take that next step and teach. And that's where we kind of got the idea of breaking it breaking it down and saying, okay, we have our black belt and then we have a black belt instructor and we expect different things from these two different people. Um, and, then once and that's it, how it should be. Yeah, it, was, that's what, what we, it took us a while to realize that, but Sifu was like, you know, I don't have, as you can see, you don't see a lot of black belts in here. And, <laughs> and, and we kind of realized, well, but at the same time, we have blue belts that are, are, are that are essentially black belts. They're just, they're still blue belts because they, they haven't, they've been missing the tests, the formal test that we had for, to move up the ranks. So after a while, my Sifu started doing it a little bit differently himself and looking at how, how much progress they've made. And he started writing it down on paper. Okay, what, well, what, what techniques should a white belt know? What techniques should a yellow belt know? And he wrote it all down. And then he started looking more at what techniques do they know? How do they execute them? And, um, and what do they look like in their self-defense and in their sparring? And that's how he kind of came together with, okay, this is what a black belt is. Now, what's a black belt instructor? Well, a, a black belt instructor should be able to teach all that. Because so that, that's, a, that's a total different thing. Like, just because you can do a form doesn't mean you can go up in front of a, a class of 20 to, to 40 people and lead them in a form and, and say each movement and, and move in a mirror fashion. In other words, you know, you, when you're standing in front, everything's the opposite. So when you're saying left, you're telling everyone right. And that's, that's, a, that's a different skill. And, that, and he kind of broke it down that way as well. Yeah, I think uh, there's two parts to that. I mean, like, uh, my understanding as well is getting to black belt is about what you can do, first off. But then once you get to the higher degrees, like once you become like six, seven, eight, you start getting into the, the red, white belt, the red belt eventually, it's more about what you give to the art. So you can't really become eighth, ninth degree if you're not teaching. It's impossible. Because at that point, you've already far surpassed what you can do. Now, what are you doing to improve the world? You, what are, who are you teaching? And at the same time, the teaching does become important because, well, for example, we didn't wait till someone was a black belt to start teaching. You know, in class, we would say, hey, yellow belt, go teach this white belt this technique. Hey, green belt, go teach these blue belts this form. So we started developing teachers at an earlier point without them realizing it. It was never necessary to get the belt, but what you find out is the better you are at teaching something, the better you are at actually doing it. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, that's pretty much... I think that's, that's the one under... That's like I, I was saying earlier about how every school has a different approach to it and they might have a slightly different method but definitely that's the same underlying principle that's there for for the Kajukembo school I come from as well so so, so you got your black belt and then um, and then from there you started teaching Kajukembo and um, yes when you uh, well how do you uh, how do you feel about how, how do you feel about tournaments I hate him. <laughs> I you, you said I can cuss, right? Oh, oh, yeah. I absolutely hate him. I absolutely fucking hate him. Now, and the thing is, they are important. I know they're necessary. Um, even uh, Kaji Kumbo, like, there's three aspects. Right? There's the traditional aspect. There's the combat aspect, which is not only street self-defense, but also for military people. And there's the competition. You know, I mean, it, it's there for a reason. It, it drives you... When you know you're going to fight, you train a little harder. Uh, when I know I'm going to take the Japanese test, I subconsciously study harder. You know, it's just, it happens that way. But I just hate it because we used to have, like, our, you know, our fight club kind of weekends. We'd get together on Saturday and fight for an hour. And we'd go home bloody, bruised, and happy. We'd go get a drink after. It was great, but the competition was not the important thing. 
So for me personally, I hate it because I don't want to go wait for an hour and then fight someone for two minutes, lose my money, and especially if the the fighting rules are different from combat self-defense, which I'm more interested in. So it's important. I'm not going to say people should not do tournaments. I think they should. I think it's good for kids. It teaches respect, humility, uh, learning to improve yourself. Just myself, I hate them. No, I, I, I completely understand. Um, one of the things... I, I've, I, I've personally always hated tournaments myself. I never enjoyed them. I liked going to the Kaju Kembo tournaments for the seminars beforehand so I can meet the other Sifus and the other masters and grandmasters. I love that part. Um, I loved the idea that I was surrounded by other people that did the same martial art as me. But when it came time to actually sit there and do, even when the point sparring, and I hate point sparring, but even when it was, uh, the point sparring was Kaju Kembo based, which allows growing strikes and is a little more like continuous sparring. Like our point sparring is like, yeah. who hit the other guy more times and drove him back? It's not based on the whole, right. oh, I tapped you in the head. It's okay. Who really hit the guy? Who really, who really stopped him? And whoever stopped him gets the point. Um, yeah. So it's it's a little different. But even then, I just didn't like it. I didn't like it. I, I, I felt yeah. like <laughs> even then, even then I didn't like it. Even at that point, even under those rules, I just didn't like – not that I don't like fight, fighting. I love continuous sparring. Um, but I hated the idea of, of being of, – like you said, waiting there for, for hours on end, waiting for your number to get picked, going up there, seeing what happens next. Um I just didn't like it. I didn't like it. I, I definitely, oh. when I came to Japan, I, I did one tournament, but after that last, after my first tournament out here, I saw the same thing and I just, I said no more. So like now, I, I'll go, I only do matches now. Um, I, I, I call them to, to, taikai or tournaments, but really they're shiais, which is I, I go in for one match um, just to yeah. fight one, one person. Um, I feel that it's much more organized. And it's a little more based on a one-on-one. -on -one. So I can kind of make a decision like, okay, I'm going to fight this person. I know who I'm fighting. I know we're going to be, I know we're going to both train to hit a certain weight class. So it's a little more based on, on, on challenging myself to be a certain weight, whatever the contract states. And, um, and I've, I've enjoyed more that type of fighting, but even then, I don't like doing that kind of fighting too much. I'll do it maybe once or twice a year just for me to personally stay sharp. But the outcome of the fight itself isn't, important, isn't as important as the training that leads up to it. I totally agree. I totally agree completely. Uh, and as you said earlier as well, the Kaiji Kamo tournaments were better for me than the other tournaments. You could actually hit each other. But generally it's the same. And I, I totally agree. Um, it's the preparation. Uh, I, in fact, on a similar note, uh, did your school, you, you had uh, a lot of kids at your school, at your dojo? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of kids. Yeah. So, did you do, like, demos with the kids? Yes. We, you know, we had the, every, okay. every season, like, every Easter, Christmas, um, summer, I, I forget what, I don't, oh, President's Day, 4th of July, right? Uh, every, every, like, yeah, yeah. Ma every major holiday, um, since my Sifu, uh, I should probably mention his name at least once, Sifu Rani Isagiri. <laughs> um, and he, Sigong, sorry, he's Sigong Rani Isagiri, I should, I should correct that. Um, he, he was really connected to the community. So every time there was, uh, even when he had his own dojo, he still knew people in our, in our town that, that were involved with the local 4th of July events and, and whatnot. So he always had someone ask him, "Hey, can you come out and do a demo for 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 whatever oh, yeah. community event?" So every 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 uh, event that was based around a holiday, we'd all go out there and we we'd do a demo, and we worked as a team together to to show off our our self defense and to show our, yeah, yeah. our techniques and also uh, what we look like doing forms and that kind of thing. Exactly, and like for me as well. I, again, just like the tournaments, I hated demos, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I didn't like going, but because I, I don't like going out to show off what I can do. I like to just go and hit people and get hit, you know, keep it simple. But, and it's just like the tournaments, as we're mentioning, like working with the kids, 
you'll see it a lot. It prepares they, they because we had a demo coming up. All right, you got to get lower in your stance. You got to hit harder. You got to get louder. And it was because we're kind of putting on a show for people. But number one, when I was younger, like I said, I loved martial arts as a kid. So when I saw a demo, I loved seeing what different people do stuff. So it was fun to watch for me. I loved it. But second, these kids actually fight for something. They they hit harder because they're preparing for these demos. Uh, and again, that, that just like the tournaments, it drives, it creates motivation. Uh, that was probably the strongest point I saw for the tournaments, uh, just like the demos, I'd say. Yeah, I, as a as a instructor, I'm I'm always saying the same thing. Like I, I just made all my I just made I didn't make, but I uh, even here in Japan I coach I coach kickboxing and MMA, and I have a. Uh, I have this kid I coach who's like, hey, should I just go straight into MMA? Should I just go straight into MMA? I'm like, no, you shouldn't go straight into MMA. You're going to get slaughtered. Um, go do a tournament. He's like, but you hate tournaments. Yeah, I hate tournaments. But you told me you hate wearing the helmet. I do hate wearing the helmet. But <laughs> put the helmet on. <laughs> go in, do an amateur <laughs> kickboxing tournament or at least one match and just see what it feels like to compete because it changes things. Um, it's oh, yeah. it, the the psychological pressure of fighting in a room full of a bunch of people watching, screaming, yelling, saying "get them, knock them out." That is yeah. totally different from from what we do here. Because here we have a nice controlled environment. Everyone's really quiet. You know, we have a nice supportive environment. Everyone's trying to help you. But when you're at a tournament. Uh, and when you're at a when you're at a, a, a big event, it's hectic, and it'll te- it it'll teach you a different focus. And um and he went in there, he got gassed around the second round. Oh yeah. And the whole time I was telling him like, hey man, you need to do more cardio. Hey bro, how much were you running this week? Hey, and he was always like, ah, oh, you know, I only I I don't I don't my cardio is pretty good. You know, I don't I don't need to run that much because, you know, I can handle I can handle six or seven rounds with with us and sparring. I'm like it's and I told him it's going to be different, but I was like, "All right, man, it's your choice, right? We'll go in there." So after the tournament <laughs> comes back, he's like, "Oh my gosh, I was so tired. I need to run more." <laughs> it immediately is, I need you know to train what, harder. I need to do more cardio. I'm like, "See? Like it's different, man. Like it's it's once you get in there, your nerves start to kick in." And if your cardio isn't good and you don't know how to calm yourself down and you lose your focus, that's that's what it's all about. And I think yeah. as much as I hate matches, as much as I hate tournaments, um, uh, the other day I noticed you posted uh, on Facebook that that uh, that video of the instructor with a knife teaching knife techniques. Oh, yeah. And like he calmly yeah, yeah. he calmly attacked him and said, okay, ready? I'm going to do a knife technique. And he prepared the student. I'm going to do a knife technique. Ready? Okay. And then he blocked it, and then after, and he the guy did like a t- nice little self defense technique, and then the instructor says, "Yeah, you did pretty good. You did pretty good." And then he turns around and starts fucking with him, right? And he's like, "So you think yeah. you're, you think you're a badass now that you can you can take the knife away?" And the guy's like, kind of confused, he's like, "No, <laughs> you think I'm fucking kidding?" And then the guy's face totally changed, right? And right after he saw his face change, the yeah. instructor bum rushes him and just starts hacking away at him with this demo knife, and, and tells him, "You would have been dead right there." And it was because again, that uh, the psychological pressure, the the emotions that get tied in when someone's coming at you and you know they're coming at you to hurt you, you know that yeah. that they're not going to hold back, and then you add a crowd of people yelling on top of that, like that's in my opinion, that's where your that's where your focus is really tested. Yes, very true. Uh, when you talk about uh the crowd and the sound it makes and also the training for wind. Um, I laughed when you mentioned telling him he should have been running because the same thing happened to me. If uh, <laughs> Eric Coleman is listening to this, uh, he's the guy who trained me. He really changed my fighting style a lot. Give me a lot of Muay Thai stuff for a fight in New Mexico. And uh, the same thing happened. I mean, <laughs> he was telling me before and like, I knew I should have been running more, but I didn't. And at the end of the second round, I think he said the same thing. Should have been running. Should have been running. <laughs> but then um, you also mentioned uh, like that, yeah, that video where the guy just changes the atmosphere. Um, interesting thing uh, to point out is when the, he said, "Look, you think I'm kidding?" 
the kid actually said a joke. I mean, everything was, everybody's happy and joking, and so he just fell into it, and he said kind of a smart-ass comment. Uh, you know, kind of like a egotistical comment that's obviously a joke, but it made it really realistic. He, the look on his face, you're right. It was like, oh, wait, did I just piss off the teacher? Uh, yeah. What do I do now? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, there's another guy as well who teaches a lot of the same thing. Um, I've posted some of his stuff online as well, a guy named Hawk Hawkheim. Uh, he's got some amazing empty hand, knife, stick, and gun stuff. And I've worked with him a couple times. Uh, he's come to my Sifu's dojo uh, in California quite a bit. Uh, in fact, he was just there th- uh, this month for another knife seminar. I wish I could go. I- I'm planning to go s- some year soon. He does these seminars. But that was uh, some of the training he's done. I've taken some of his seminars. The whole training of what your opponent's face is, what he's saying, that will change the whole psychology of the fight more than people will ever realize. Yeah, no, straight out. Like I think, in again going back to to the self defense analogy, it's 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 one thing to be training when you're doing self defense and you learn self defense and you learn martial arts. It's one thing to be sitting there with your buddies and your friends that you know that you're friends and practicing martial arts. It's another thing when you have to use it against an opponent or an an outright enemy. You know, the, the, the intent, the killer yeah. intent, that killing intent is not there as, as much as it is. Yes. And it, it's something you have to practice for if, 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 you want to be, if you want to be able to defend yourself in, in a real situation. So, oh, yeah. Uh, so, so you ended up getting your black belt. And, um, yes. and eventually, because like as many of my listeners know, I, I broadcast in Japan. And I've mentioned in the past before that I that I met you and I trained out with you in uh I, I can say the name of the city right where you trained oh yeah go for it okay yeah <laughs> um yeah. in out in Okayama yeah. um you know I went out and I found out that you were essentially the only other Kajukembo instructor that I know of if you were in Japan and you teach Kajukembo please contact us <laughs> please. please roll, roll call Kajukembo roll call. <laughs> Big shout out to any Kajukembo instructors in Japan. If you're in Japan, we are here. <laughs> I'm in um I'm in the Kansai area in Kobe, and if you heard the plug into the show, I coach. I'm coaching MMA, stand up, and also kickboxing at the Oji Sports Center, and um, that's in Kobe, Japan, in the Kansai area. And then if you go a little further down into Okayama. Uh, you know, we're here. We so if there, I'm I'm curious if there's someone hiding in the Kanto area. I, I find it hard to believe that there isn't any Kajukembo instructors in the Kanto area. I'm sure there's got to be someone <laughs> somewhere. I don't know, man. I, I I've gone to a seminar in Tokyo. We meet a lot of uh, martial artists and different Japanese styles. Uh, a few of them uh, knew what Kajukembo was. Uh, one of the guys said, "Oh, you do Kajukembo." Oh, you know us? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you guys are like the bikers of the martial arts world, right? <laughs> like, Dude, oh, yeah, I guess we are. But I've never met anybody else who actually trains it here. Uh, people have heard of us, seen in the videos, and, you know, and of course there are bad YouTube videos too, but there are a lot of good ones. Yeah. They know us, but I haven't met anybody else here who does it. Yeah, and I, I know, I mean, I'm guilty of this as well. I, I think your program is a little more... Kajukembo based than mine. I'm not formally. I formally took in two students in the small because I I live out in the, in the countryside, so I don't have a. There's not yeah. a lot of people where I'm at, so I do. I have. I took on two formal students and got them to like blue belt, um, and then they had to go to school because they were high school students. But um, and out here in Japan, when you start high school, you get you like starting college. You get sent away. So um, yeah. So. What happened for me is when I started coaching the stand-up for MMA is that particular club doesn't – if we say we're teaching, for example, Kajukembo, if I say I'm teaching a formal martial art, um, they'll, the, the actual sports center uh, charges us more for running a martial arts program. But if we say we're doing right. a quote-unquote martial arts club – and nobody shows up with their belts on. Everybody just comes in in MMA compression gear and no gi. That's why we do no gi jujitsu. We don't even allow 
gi jujitsu for that reason because it's it's no gi. No. Uh, we all then it's just a bunch of guys in a martial arts club, which makes it easier to run the program. But there's actually, I mean, I'm there's another there's always different black belts from different martial arts showing up to that to that club, like from judo to we have a bunch of judo black belt instructors, and we also have a lot of um, a lot of uh, a few MMA guys, a few jujitsu guys, a few taekwondo guys, a few Shaolin Kempo guys, a few budo guys, a few aikido, different martial art people that have black belts. But when we're all there. We essentially don't talk about it, and we just do what we're gonna do, <laughs> and we kind of trade what we do. So like, rule number one, Fight Club. Yeah, don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> so yeah, we, I, you know, that's that's kind of the thing is, um, so it's like sometimes I'll show them, I'll go over some of our self defense, but um, and I'll I'll even do line basics to warm people up, but I don't teach any forms, um. Because then that's going to raise suspicion from the owner of the sports center. Like, oh, wait wait a second. It looks like they're doing traditional martial arts and they're going to want charges more. Plus, a lot of the guys that train yeah. there aren't interested in trying to get a belt in another art. But, um, but yeah, that's right. what I think it's really cool with, with what you're doing is you actually you have a martial arts club that, that you're, uh, you're kind of making your own little community and, and they're actually earning their, their belts, right? Yeah, yes. Uh, and that I'm really happy to be able to be doing that. Uh, I think a lot of, I mean, you and I both know that the belt doesn't really matter. You know, the, the belt's supposed to be there to hold up your pants. Um, but there is some symbology behind it. Uh, it's not just a, a fake thing. I mean, when you actually earn that rank, uh, it means a lot. And so I'm really happy to be able to do that for some people to let them know, hey, you actually have improved. And they have, you know, I mean. I got people who now can take a punch and who now are learning how to punch and learning how to kick. And you see that difference. It's really good. Yeah, I think, and I think that's really cool that, that you're able to essentially bring Kaji Kembo in a very traditional sense into Japan. Um, I think it's a great thing to be able to, even though, yeah, you're right, a belt only holds up your pants. Um, Still, being able to pass on that tradition is what I feel keeps a martial art alive. Um, I was just yeah. I was just reading an article. I was just reading an article about how how there's martial arts in the in the Philippines that are that are they're being lost, like because they didn't get passed on. Um, the there's only a few. There's only a few masters left, and they don't have a successor. So essentially, right. essentially, it's sad that these martial arts are just literally they're becoming lost. It's not the knowledge, the knowledge is 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 disappearing, and that that to me is is sad. I'd, I'd hate for something like that to happen to to Kajikembo. So I think it is it's an sad. important thing. <laughs> yeah, it's sad. In fact, even in Japan, uh, are you familiar with Kobudo? No, I'm not. So uh, the Budo is like martial arts Budo. Ko uh, is like the kanji for old. So they're the old martial arts in Japan. They're basically old style family, generationally passed on martial arts uh, in Japan. Uh, and one really interesting one is like Take no Uchi, I think is the name of it. Uh, it's basically like that, passed on, but they're disappearing because no one really ghost them. Got, they have got like five students you know, in the whole program. They've been around for a long, long time, but just like the ones in the Philippines, no one's really studying at the school itself. Yeah. And that's sad, because like again, when that when that kind of thing happens, the, the martial art itself, um, the stories, the legacies, they, they get lost. And I think that's one, that's something yes. that when my, um, when our, when our uh, great grandmaster passed away, she was a while in Abad, um, that was one of the things that he kept talking about you know, before he passed was it's really important that we teach the next generation. That's, that should be your top priority as, 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 a, as, a, as a black belt instructor, as a Sifu is, is, um, is passing on the knowledge, passing on the legacy because um, that's at the end, that's what's going to really live on. You know, that's just really going to live on. And that, and, that, that's, and that was the part that really impacted me. Um, so we're getting to our, to our like I mentioned earlier, we're getting to our five-minute wrap-up, um, kind of winding down here. Um, I guess 
is there anything you want to mention or um well i think uh anybody who's interested in the martial arts you got to find a place to go uh if you're here in okayama or kobe come check us out uh most important thing any martial artist to find a good teacher i was lucky to find sifu ron esteller he's actually uh, grandmaster ron esteller now uh he punched me in the gut last time i called him that because he hates the title <laughs> but uh Sifu Ron, I mean, you gotta find you gotta find someone that you trust and respect, teach you the knowledge. Uh, find a good school, please, because uh, you can't go wrong with good martial art. And I, I'm hoping more people can come to realize that. Oh yeah, yeah. There's definitely a lot of great martial arts, and a lot of bad instructors that can make a great martial art horrible. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so definitely, yeah. uh, one of the things my uh, my instructor always told me, Sigun uh, Ronnie Sigiri, you know, he said, you know. Um, Really, do you like the instructor? And I've mentioned this in my other podcast about martial arts and picking the right martial arts or what's the best martial arts. And really, it comes down to: Do you like your instructor? Do you li- literally like them? Is it someone that, outside of a dojo setting, outside of a kun setting, do you see yourself hanging out with this person? Or do they have that vibe? Because right. if you don't have that connection with them, if this is one of those things where you walk in and you're like, "Man, this guy's an asshole," but I'm gonna put up with him because I feel this martial art is good for me, that eventually when you start getting to the... to Because, the, like, getting your black belt or, or succeeding in a martial art is like running a marathon. So oh, yeah. so if you have someone that you don't get along with, it's like putting on a pair of running shoes that's too tight. <laughs> they might be really good running shoes, like top-of-the-line Nikes, but if those things are too tight, when you start getting to the end of that marathon, you are going to want to give up. So uh, definitely exactly. having, having the right instructor is definitely necessary. You're right, man. you got to find a good teacher. Don't get fooled by the Fu Manchu hairstyle, beard. <laughs> you know. I, I should probably grow one of those out. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. To my listeners, um, again, he mentioned it earlier. Uh, if you're ever in the Okayama area or the Kobe area, look up Kaji Kambo. Um, definitely, you can contact me right here on my website. I'd be more than happy to give you the contact information for that. Um, have a great week. Make it a good one. And I'll catch you all later. Peace.